the city. It is this sprawling massive place miles and miles across. Been here as long as anyone can remember. Nobles play their power games. Guilds maneuver for money and influence. Dark things emerge from the shadows to hunt. And the lamplighters take everything in while keeping the darkness at bay. The thing I always wonder is why. Why do these lamplighters keep the darkness back? What investment do they have in Avalon? Streets of Avalon, an urban RPG setting by Brett Blazinski for the world's most popular role-playing game. Ask for it at your friendly local game store or head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash streets. Gaming NBS episode 335 being recorded Monday, March 29th, 2021! Welcome to Gaming and BS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Glad everybody's on board. Sean, how the hell are you, man? I'm doing fantastic, Brett. How are you? Not too bad. How was the gaming since we last talked? Anything good? Anything at all? Uh, I ran Alice is Missing on oh, yeah, you did. Saturday. How'd it go? It, the game went well. Perfect. Great. We had a couple of people that streamed that took a little while to set up. And the setup for the game took a little longer than I anticipated, but the game itself, I think, went very well. It was a by request game too, so it's not like the people. Uh, you know, I'm saying is the folks who got a hold of you said, "Hey, run!" They really wanted you to run the game, which is pretty cool, right? Right. So you you had the buy in of people who wanted to play, which is great. Yes. So then, if it takes a little bit longer to set it up, whatever, everybody's like invested right out of the get, gate. So that's pretty cool. Anything else, man, or just that one? Just, well, and then I played Delta Green Tuesday. Oh, how'd that go? 17, Still in the 1700s? 1745, Darien, Georgia. Okay. Still there, all right. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. It went, well, it, we pulled a, a pastor, Methodist pastor out of a church after a Spaniard was hovering over him. So for those not in the well, or in the, the their History of Darien, Georgia is maybe not up to snuff. The, the Spaniards um, from Florida would always come up and, you know, that was a conflict between the Scottish-British settlement of Darien, Georgia. Oh, okay. So, huh. yeah, it start, and then it gets a little bit creepier from there, and now we have the party together, and things are starting to go awry, so it's fun. Things are starting to get a little cthulhu Yeah, man. Awesome. Very yeah. good. Anything else? No. No. <laughs> what about you, Brett? I had to bail on my Greyhawk game. I had to reschedule it. It was supposed to be on Thursday, and I got crushed with work. So that didn't happen, which is very depressing. But my uh, my kids and I played. They want to play Forgotten Realms first edition game with me. I said, you sure? And I said, nope, that's what they picked. We had a little session zero between AJ Alana and I. We made characters after school one day during the week. And then everything came together, and I ran a little intro uh, story for them this last Sunday. Played for what four hours, so it was a pretty good. It was a pretty good time. Got some more coming up this week, so that a lot of fun. Alana's really digging the whole story. She gets to talk to people, a lot of plot development, so it's a lot of fun. So far, so good on that. Sounds fantastic. I, yeah, and this Thursday I got coming up is going to be my Greyhawk game, so that'll be cool. But 
this had to postpone, which is kind of a bummer, but eh, it happens. Work is work. Right. Sometimes it crushes your fun. It it can do that. I've sold a bunch of, uh, I sold a fair number of uh, old uh, vampire books that uh, ever since we talked about cleaning out stuff, I started looking at it and was talking to Joe Swick, and I'm like, you know, I really, you've got everything you need, right, Joe? Joe's like, yeah, I have everything I need. I'm like, all right, I think I'm going to sell some crap now. So uh, Joe tuned me into a Facebook group, and I offloaded a few. I've got a couple slightly pricier slipcover, slipcase, excuse me, collections that I might hang on to um, and maybe try to get a little bigger bucks for them. But I'm going to be down Madison Way next week, so I'm half-tempted just to dump it all in the light and get what I can get and move on because it's faster and easier. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take a bit of a hit, but sometimes I'm like, yeah, but I don't have to fucking ship it around and do this, do that. It can be kind of a hassle sometimes, so we'll see what happens. Otherwise, eh, nothing exciting, man. Kind of meh. Kind of meh. Meh. Yeah, I was actually really pleased though that uh, John Kavalik actually listened to us and and uh, tweeted the fact that we that I mentioned the Munchkin <laughs> game I had with my kids. That's like, Holy cow, John Kavalik actually paid yeah. attention. That's really sweet. That yeah. was really cool. If you don't know who John is, he does the Dork Tower comic. He's been around for quite some time, and Dork oh, yeah. Tower is the pinnacle. And he's. He was a uh, part of the team that put out Apples to Apples, apples the, to the apples, actual yep. game. Yeah, and John's just—he's a, a local guy, local Madison, not local crazy, mm-hmm. but you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not local. Well, a little bit. If you met John, John's fun. Yeah, he is. And, he's uh, a really good. We guy. We bumped into John a couple times at GameOcon. He stopped by our uh, gaming BS booth two years ago, and we shot the shit with him for a little bit. And I had mentioned that I was following him because he and his kids were getting in Taekwondo, and I have a black belt in Taekwondo, so we talked martial arts together and. He picked up one of our cards and said, oh, maybe I'll listen to you guys. I'm like, John Kavalik's not going to listen to us. Oh, lo and behold, at least he picked up one. That was yeah. really nice. Really kind of cool That's to hear fantastic, that. man. Shout out to John. So check out Dork yeah, Tower. Absolutely. And, yeah, um, if, if you're not reading Dork Tower and following him on Twitter, he's just, he's fun. He's a cool dude. He's just, he's a hoot. And all of the uh, plushies that Game uh, that Game Hulkon does, John does the design for the plushie monsters and so forth. So Yeah, so really if you cool don't artist. know him from Dork Tower... But you've been to Game Con and you're always wanting to get those plushies. Now you know who does them. Exactly. The design, yep. What was I going to say? Something else. Now I forgot it. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Oh, um, speaking of podcast listening and whatnot. So Craig uh, Shipman, third floor, is uh, my, my interview with him should be dropping, I think, to the public tomorrow. Today We're recording this on the 29th of March, 2021. I believe it drops the, 20, the 30th. So hopefully within the show notes, I will have those, a link to it from Craig that I can get Sean to slip in there. So anyway, that's coming out, uh, which I'm kind of excited for. That's cool. Well, I should say I've been talking with, um, encoded a bit more about kind of release schedule stuff for Avalon, what I want to do, how we want to fit in the PIP system conversion and so on and getting our stuff together. I also want to working with them on timelines there. I mean, it's a, this is a part-time thing for everybody, right? So, and also sorting out how we get um, the really cool map folio work that VC Young has done uh, for me for that stuff and get that, get that put together, laid out, and published and for sale on DriveThru because I think VC's done great work and it needs to, be, needs to get out there. So, working on that too. So, VC, I know you're probably out there listening to me right now. I have not had a chance to text you, buddy. They just found that out a little bit ago. So, anyway, work, still working on it. It's coming. Still got it. Anyway, 
Um, uh, that's it. We ready? Let's move on. Yeah, let's get into Random, Random Encounter. Encounter. Random Encounter, segment of the show where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. You can start. First one, Mark. The BS, official BS archivist, Dawson, on why all the hate. Hey, BNS, thanks for nothing on the RPG purge issue. Just messing. <laughs> I, I have a slew of stuff I need to sell on eBay. Guess I'll add my AD&D first edition and second edition books to the pile once we finish this damn campaign. Or maybe I'll post something on the gaming and BS forum. Do you feel for me yet, Sean? <laughs> I guess so. I guess so, Mark. Brett, once I purchase a house and get my comics out of storage, you can visit New Mexico and bask in the glory of my collection. I work for a brewery so we can throw back a few beers and nerd out on the Marvel Age of Comics. Sean, if you have an interest, you're invited as well. With nothing else, uh, Mark, we need someone to pour the beer while we're talking. So I'm gonna, I'll bring I'll bring our, our sommelier. <laughs> Sean, hey, another one, another one over here. I, I would be okay with that. <laughs> I know you would. Uh, let's see. He continues. Uh, Canadian rock band Sloan says, it's not the band I hate, it's their fans. <laughs> Sean, I didn't really hear many complaints about five about the 5E system in this episode, but it was more about the race options available in 5E. Why not lay down some house rules slash expectations for your particular game and roll with it? Uh, I completely understand if you're feeling burned out with 5e and want to spend time with some other systems, but based on my observation, you didn't voice any specific beef with the 5e rules. Um, that would that would be accurate. Yep, I think it's it's time away is what you need. We need time. It's not you. It's me. I need a little time apart. <laughs> Yeah. Well, see if this still lasts. Let's just, you know, we should see other people for a while. I don't actually have a problem with the races in 5e either. I'm not a big fan of Dragonborn or Tieflings or Goliaths uh, or yeah. whatever, not necessarily. But I, I don't I don't care. I, the part of the story of, or the part of the episode when I talked about running an OSE game and including Dragonborn and Tieflings and yeah. the combat wheelchair is a is me conveying that I don't I don't mind if that's in a game. I, I don't care. Like that that's what I want to put in my game. That's my put prerogative. Put it in there, goddammit. Yeah. And if Brett doesn't want to put it in his game, that's okay too. Like that's, exactly. that, that was the point I was trying to make. If it got lost, that's I just wanted to point that out. So he says I've personally played D and D white box, blue box, um, red box. 1E, 2E, and 5E. Based on my experience with these systems, 5E is the best version of the game so far. That's not to say the system isn't without its flaws, uh, but it's but that's an entire topic of discussion I'd love to expound upon in great detail. I guess it depends on what you're trying to get out of a particular RPG system. Seems there are various systems that focus on particular aspects of gaming, combat, social, roleplay, etc. Uh, everyone leans toward homebrew rules or modding existing systems to meet their personal needs but is there a system that truly does it all that's what i'm aiming for with my own rpg which is why i previously posed the question of social mechanics 
Anywho, Sean, do what makes you happy. If you need a break from 5e for whatever reason, explore other systems and keep us in the loop of your findings. Sloan also sings S-E-A-N-S-A-I-D-P-L-A-Y. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Cheers, Mark. Sean said play. Yeah. Sean said play. Mark, uh, cheers, Mark. Official BS archivist Dawson. Sloan coaxed me. It's not the band I hate. It's their fans. And he's got a link. I'll put a link to these guys. It's uh, <laughs> uh, funny. To the YouTube channels that he's referencing. But yeah. And there was another thing that was brought up. I don't think it's in, in addressed in um, in the rest of the, the random encounters. But, you know, um, we had a couple comments on the forums about like, hey, I'm not a big fan of 5e and this is why or whatever. And then, of course, there's folks that we know that are part of the community that are fans of 5e. And yep, so, love it. And they love it, right. And great. So, I want to make sure that, you know, we, what, for Brett and me, what we're trying to foster and whether we do that accurately or not, whether through this show or not, maybe we say something and then we do the opposite. Certainly. Yeah. It's totally possible. We are we are but mortals. Could happen. Yeah, it, it could it could absolutely happen. We could have fuck up. But the thing that I wanted to first of all, you know, why all the hate certainly gets people's attention, and then they read they read the heading, and then they comment on the title, and they don't listen to the episode where I I mention nothing bad about Fifth Edition. That's just me having fun with Sean because I told Sean I need to get you riled up. He's like, Yeah, Brett, that's that's a great title. Good, you dick. So I'm right. like, Yeah, we're keeping it. <laughs> but one thing that I want to make sure when when we as gamers approach our our own preferences and our opinions is that we make sure to understand like that's what we brought up during the show like Brett is not a fan of PBTA that is not a secret however Brett is Correct. not going to come on here and shit all over it there's no point because no. what what am I going to do one I'm going to look like an asshole right. and two I'm just going to upset people what's the point of upsetting people. You know, I, I'd rather I'd rather upset bad people instead of gamers, right? <laughs> let's upset Nazis, people that people that we hate. You know, let's upset that. This is this is a hobby that we all enjoy. So, so my point is, we can have an opinion, make it our own opinion, and say I don't like it. I personally don't find this appealing. I personally don't find that appealing. Whatever the case is, but to say that it is a bad game, you know, for whatever reason is subjective to the person that's opinion is shared right so yeah absolutely and that goes with anything 5e osc whatever bx so i just want to make sure that's clear so you can have an opinion i don't want to stifle opinions because i think oh hell no right we all have our own personal tastes nothing wrong with that yep all right i'm getting off the soapbox that's all right (laughs) settle the sedan back down so all right so next up it's Harrigan. He writes in on RPGs that influenced his play. Late coming with this, so we'll keep it brief. RPGs that influenced in blah, 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 blah. RPGs that changed my play. Combining lines and stuff here. Number one, GURPS taught me that RPGs didn't need classes, levels, or mountains of hit points, and that wizards could use swords. Number two, Champions taught me that sometimes making characters half the fun. Three, Feng Shui taught me how awesome cinematic RPGs can be. Four, fate allowed me to dive into more narrative games, teaching me that not only is success at cost a blast, but straight up failing can be a hoot too. Five, the non-retro clone OSR game that taught me to love D&D again. Harrigan out. That's a good list, man. And there's some uh, GURPS and champions talk about like old school, right? In, in a lot of cases. 
uh, especially champions. I remember making a character in champions and even making a character in curbs, quite frankly, that was indeed half the fun. The options, the point spending, the grinding, the numbers and making this really cool character that you could play with. That's, that was a lot of fun. It actually was a lot of fun. I played champ. Pretty so bad. out of all those, I think I played, played champions. I have never. I played champions once at Gen Con. I send signed up for a Gen Con event and played champions, and it was a supers game. Very brief, but it was fun. I thought. Uh, I have not. I haven't played Fate. I've played Fate Accelerated. Um, yes, I played Gerps very briefly, but and Feng Shui sitting on the shelf. Cool. That's a good list, though. That's very good. It thanks, Harrigan. Yeah. Thanks, Harrigan. Over to you, sir. Todd Broken Ruler Games. Crapper comments on RPGs that influenced his play. Since listening to the episode, I've been trying to think of any particular games that changed how I look at the play, look at and play RPGs. For the most part, I do think it was the overall movement of narrative-based mechanics brought on by The Forge, powered by the Apocalypse, Fate, PDQ, and others. Uh, there was none in particular so much as elements of other game designer friends were borrowing borrowing for their games we were playtesting at the time. Then came Marvel Heroic. While I've only played it a couple times, that sucker changed everything for me. How to present a game, how dice are more than just numbers sometimes, and so many, many things. It was such a game changer for me that I saw Cam Banks, one of the lead designers, at a convention and totally ran over, uh, interrupted his conversation with other people, and shook his hand to thank him for making it. It completely changed how I look at game design by thinking outside the box while I pressed up against it. Very nice. I wanted to share Todd's I'd... specifically because he's a game designer. Yes. And so he his perspective is the same as us, but probably a little bit different for what he incorporates into his own games and Correct. why. Yeah. Yep. Which actually interesting is that when you read um, perspectives from designers and stuff, a lot of us are designing stuff. We're doing design work. When you design an encounter, game designers design encounters. When you're building a world, game designers also build worlds. Um, so sometimes there is a, ooh, a game designer speaks. And, it, you know, they're published, therefore they've got more weight or whatever. And, and yes and no in some points. But you get a guy like Todd and he's like, look, hey, man, this was really cool. This helped change my perspective and so forth. The cool thing now is that he has a body of work that you can look at and say, oh, I like what he does. Where did he get some of that? Aha, here's some cool things. I'll bet you if I were to grab Marble Heroic and uh, see some of the things that he points out there, I bet you I could sniff out bits and pieces of that in the stuff that Todd likes to do, which is kind of cool sometimes going back to the, uh, the core of a thing and seeing what's in there and maybe something I, I might read it find a nugget and go, boy, I wonder if Todd even remembers this piece or whatever. So that's good stuff. I like this. Thank you, Todd. That was really, that was really cool. Yeah. Thanks, Todd. We good, man? We're good. Thanks for everybody that's written in. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, let's get to the main topic. Mm-hmm. Well, Sean doesn't want to talk about D&D. He told me, he said, man, we're talking about D&D a lot. I said, we do. It's like the big thing, man. And it's also, I, I've had, I've gotten flack about this before, but sometimes D&D is a great common ground for a lot of gamers. A lot of, most people that I and Sean encounter have had at least passing knowledge or understand it. However, 
I figured I'm going to pick a system he doesn't know shit about. And I'm going to lay out some things I know, let Sean grill me a little bit, and uh, we'll see what happens. So I want to talk about the World of Darkness. So the World of Darkness stuff, originally by White Wolf, um, back in the 90s, um, when they first started putting out their storyteller system, is what, what it was called. Vampire the Masquerade came out, and then there was Vampire the Masquerade, Changeling the Dreaming, um, Werewolf, the Apocalypse, Mage the Ascension, um, Wraith. Fuck, I can't remember what the hell. Uh, Wraith the Oblivion. There it is on my shelf. And yeah, then Tim, Tim wanted you to say Wraith for sure, just so oh, you know. Oh, fuck yeah. Wraith is one of the... Uh, Wraith is one of the World of Darkness games I kept when I'm I was offloading because I didn't I did not play that one to death. I played my vampire nineties game to death and I'm like, I didn't play enough Wraith, so that's still there. I still have that wonderful um big anniversary book that Dave Beatty grabbed for me, which I bought off of him. Anyway, um so I don't want to talk about specifically the um I'm gonna talk about World of Darkness mechanics. And I want to talk about because I'm right now I am running a World of Darkness game. Um my, my care the title of the game is Access Monday. I've talked about it a bit on the show. It's a weird, weird-ass premise to the game. But one of the reasons I chose the World of Darkness system was because, one, it was something my crew and I are very familiar with. And two, the World of Darkness put out by, um, I think, Onyx Path. If you go to out to drive through, you'll see um, lots of different stuff. In the world of darkness, there's world of darkness, new world of darkness stuff. There is chronicles of darkness, and so on. There's a lot of different hairs to split, and so on. But what I want to talk about is the um, the world of darkness. White Wolf put this out, and then eventually Onyx Path took it over. And I don't want blah. There's so much weird drama bullshit around who owns what. <clears throat> I, want, I just want to talk about the world of darkness itself. So, Sean. When I say, hey, World of Darkness, what, is that, what does that mean to you? Do you think of it as, like, it's tied to one of the other, um, like, it's a vampire, werewolf, blah, 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 or what, is, what does that mean to you when you hear World of Darkness stuff? Yeah, to me, it's a, uh, an amalgamation of, of those products, like vampire, mage, werewolf. I don't know much about the setting, but from them having been around for a little while, I can envision parts of the setting whether they that my vision is accurate or not got it but yeah that's a setting but then the system and mon- many of those games have a similar system if not the exact same system but just the uh the the flavor or what your objectives are as yep. characters in that game may change so in the original world of darkness stuff vampire the masquerade and werewolf and all that um uh, the core pieces were very similar. And by that, I mean, mechanically speaking, it was a, it's a D10 die pool, right? So if you want to accomplish something, you have attributes, abilities, backgrounds, advantages, disciplines, powers, you know, whatever that might be. So I might tell you, hey, I want to figure out this computer thing. Well, give me an intelligence plus computers role. Um, you're in a fight. Give me a, a dex plus melee or athletics, or brawl, strength plus dodge. And then you'd roll the D10s. In the original system, you would, you'd have a, a target number, somewhere basically between 1 and 10. Pick a number, and that was, you'd roll this handful of D10s. However, when you hit the target or above, was a success. Ones were failures, could er, would erase, basically, um, your successes. Tens could explode, potentially. Um, that was, this was the first time that I'd ever encountered exploding dice. Like, ooh, I rolled a 10, 10 again. Oh, this is cool, you know? And it also had some interesting pieces 
where almost, I should, should not say almost, but it had things like virtues, vices, self-control, courage, it had some morality components to it. And then it also um, connected you to humanity, much like Call of Cthulhu has sanity. So depending on the, um, on the system you had, you could have humanity for your vampire character or banality for your changeling character, which are fey and so on. Um, but one of the problems that they had was you, ostensibly, you should have been able to play all of those original games together. Kind of, sort of, right? Because in the mage world, you had the way the magic worked and different charts and so on and different components. The character sheets were different enough and there were nuancy mechanics. It really didn't meld up really well. So when the newer version came out, Vampire the Requiem, um, Changeling the Lost, they redid this stuff, right? And then that's when they put out the World of Darkness core book by itself, right? And where they said, hey, this is the mechanics. This is like the uh, the basic role-playing. This is like the GURPS version that all of our game systems tie into, right? So that was pretty cool because for a lot of us, in my group anyway, and other people I talked to, like, oh, thank God. Now if I want to run all these different components, you know, demons, undead, uh, magic users, you know, crazy wizards, hedges, but whatever you want to do, they're all using the same system. Again, it was a D10 die mechanic, the die pool. One of the things that they did was they changed up how you did some of the successes. Instead of a random success number um, to hit on your die pool, it was eights, nines, and tens. You could have tens explode. Ones would still cancel stuff. You could end up with a botch. Which you, which you had back in the old system, too, where you fucked up too bad on your dice. Horrible things could happen. Really cool things could happen um, with really uh, huge successes. But the cool thing that it did, for my group anyway, was that the World of Darkness, the core system, became a... Um, when you read the book, it had enough flavor and text to it. It is a standalone modern horror role-playing system. Right? So... If you want to tell a, my friends and I often use it for cryptid. We call them cryptid games, where like you're in a modern setting. My friends, well, uh, Wausau, Wisconsin, it was originally called Big Bull Falls. So we'll run Big Bull Falls games where we take a pick a piece of our hometown and we twist it a bit. We call it Big Bull Falls, and then there's like a fake creature we have to interact with or some other critter. We've we've actually done hoed eggs, right? Because we're Wisconsin boys, so those cryptids work really well um, in, in the system because it has that, it has that feeling like you, you should be able to investigate stuff, figure things out. You, you, you have, um, it's wide open in the, in that space. So I guess where I'm, where I'm going for here, Sean, is that the, the core system itself, if you break it down into what would I use it for? I could use it for a lot of stuff, but it is a modern horror role-playing game engine is how I see it. At least that's how it's built, and that's how I look at it. It has morality, um, which is uh, similar to sanity in a way, or how your character breaks down by experiencing horrible things or whatever the case is. Um, there are has merits and flaws, which is another throwback to the old days where you can say, hey, I have idiotic memory. Um, I have a bad eye. I have bad eyes. I have... You know, I'm addicted and so on. You also have um, concepts, virtues, vices. Like you could say, hey, I am, I'm a giver 
or I'm, I'm an angry person or whatever. There's all these different options for you to play that stuff. That helps you gain back willpower, which allows you to push your luck and do different things. But a lot of it, it's the way, it, like I said, when I look at the game system now, I see it from a tone perspective. It reminds me a lot of Esoterrorists uh, from Gumshoe. Or it's something like uh, Fear Itself, again, another gumshoe type of game by Robin Laws. But it's just this standalone horror type of game system. So does any of that make sense to you? You're kind of staring at me like you're bored. Is that okay? Or what am I? <laughs> so, I tell, I tell, <laughs> so I tell you that, Sean. So what questions do you have for me on that? It's got D10 well, die pools. you got stats and skills. You know. What is it? I guess my my because I don't come from that world, man. Mm. World of Darkness and freaking White Wolf shit is off my radar. Like I I played GURPS once, mm. but I know enough about GURPS to to have a, an intelligent conversation about this stuff. Not even close. So I guess my question is: and there's people that love these games like and i oh, mean, love them like yeah. there's people in the chat they're like yeah i ran like a, a game for five years it was freaking fantastic and it was in you know whatever and yep i so i guess the question i have is what is the appeal of this game versus some of the other games that are out there like why do people find it such a you know oh, i i loved playing this i don't play it anymore and it's kind of gone and come and gone and, and some still continue it i know joe swick's a big huge fan and he's you know but what what is that? I don't know. What help me understand I, I, that, Brett? Understand why? So what, because it's a st- it, the uh, the newer system, like I said, this World of Darkness or Chronicles of Darkness is an even newer version of it, it's called. Um, it's a standalone mechanic, you know, built. You can have your solo horror role playing game, but they still have. There's vampire stuff. There are um, mages, uh, changelings, all of the stuff you used to have in the original world of darkness before white wolf did their thing ended that world and kind of rebooted everything a la marvel or dc comics kind of rebooted the whole the whole thing a lot of that stuff is still out there and still available and quite frankly it's even quasi compatible with some of the original stuff you may have right because of the die pool mechanics and how some of the terms have changed you know potence doesn't necessarily mean the same thing the celerity doesn't necessarily mean the same thing used to they change the name of what auspex does or whatever this other power is but it's pretty darn close. And um, they actually put out some really interesting kind of World of Darkness books that go along with it. They're just focused on that medium. Uh, there was Slasher, which was kind of a uh, an 18 and older kind of like from the uh, like Slasher movies, right? Like Jason, Freddy Krueger, old school, kind of uh, those nasty types, types of things. Then they have Dogs of War. Um, lots of different things to just kind of add to the whole cryptid type of approach, weird, normal people fighting against monsters. The one, of the one of the things I think that is really attractive with it, for me and my group anyway, is that it's very open, which I think is a detractor for some folks. Where if you sit down to play Esoteris, you belong to the Order Veritatis, you're dealing with the Outer Dark, you know, there's a whole mechanism. If you're playing Call Cthulhu, or Delta Green, especially Delta Green, you are a member of Delta Green. You have an organization, no matter how fucked up it is, cowboys or not, or whatever you're doing, there's a, a more solid framework where you can definitely play World of Darkness and have it not have a solid framework at all. But it maps 
in the way um, for me anyway it maps very well to a modern type of game where if I want to run a modern game like I did a modern horror game for my friends uh, my Axis Mundi game it was just a weird ass thing crazy things are going to happen to them they've got to figure out what the supernatural threat is they're going to get embroiled in the supernatural threat it's going to come home to roost. They're going to, holy fuck, we're in this way over our head. How do we figure this out? Um, friends of mine who are big fans of the, um, uh, like, X-Files, episodic TV shows like that. I know Monster of the Week is, is another game system that does this type of thing well. But it's it's generic in its scope, right? So I can make it fit in a number of different things. But it has the right, for me anyway, has the right amount of flexibility where I could tack something in there, you could run into uh, Chupacabra. Fine, that's weird. Or you could have some bizarre um, Colorado Space encounter from Lovecraft. All of that stuff is possible within here. Um, and again, you have the other pieces that Onyx Path or the original White Wolf crew when they, when they put this new edition out that they came out with. So there was Hunter the Vigil, or if you wanted to, you pick that sucker up. And I knew a number of people who, who really love that. Because it gave you enough information, you could hunt the bad guys. In the original World of Darkness, a big throwback to this, is that they tried to do different hunter types of things. And it really, for me anyway, didn't sit well. Because a lot of the hunter stuff was like, you know, they basically, <laughs> the vampires and everything were so fucking powerful. The only way mortals could be anything was to like juice them up and basically make them supernatural to fight the supernatural, right? Where when they made Hunter the Vigil, I think they did a much better job where they toned it down. They have different organizations and subgroups and sects within it that you can pick to um, to kind of make your character, you know, belonging to these different um, different archetypes. But it gave you a little bit more meat. So if you wanted to go hunt vampires, you're hunting werewolves or you're hunting something down to figure out what it is, whether it's for study, to destroy it, to tame it, to save it, whatever it is you're trying to do. That gave a really good wrapper around how you could run that type of a horror story. And I think it's it's a kind of compartmentalized horror story approach is how I see it. Does that, I see you nodding, right? so that means you get it. But does it sound attractive to you or do you like, or are you thinking, man, there's other games, other games I'd rather play? I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> you played with me. I, I did a, play Wraith intro, with I ran an intro to Wraith game. It was an intro to Wraith game. Yep. Uh, two years ago? Yeah, two oh, years ago. It was a number of years ago with Beatty. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it It sounds interesting. I don't know if I would pick it up personally to run it and, and roll with it, but I would certainly play in something where, like, I mean, Brett was like, hey, man, I'm running a Wraith game. You want to get in? Yeah, okay, sounds cool. And then, you know, there were people like Dave that you ran it for specifically because he hadn't, because I don't know if he hadn't played it or he played it once and really he loved it. He loved Wraith and you yeah, could yeah. never ever get a game going. That's so he was right. like, hey man, could you do something? I'm like, well, I've got an intro I've done before. it take us like four hours. Let's do that. And he right. really grooved on it. So it worked really well. Right. And so well, why do why does Dave like Wraith versus Vampire versus Because it's really dark and depressing. Right. <laughs> Wraith is like, you know, you know, it's incredibly depressing. Everything's dead. 
you're kind of sort of dead. The loved ones that you that you like tethered to, you can't talk to. It's really fucking depressing. It's really it's a downer. <laughs> it's it's really a downer. Oh. What's interesting if you tap so here's so here was the what I see kind of as the the world of darkness as a general sentiment to Brett perspective. Yeah, is that one of the problems that it had was the tone and the feel. A storytelling game of personal horror was the vampire tagline. A a game about redemption, ascension. A game about fighting against whatever. The mechanics, if you yank them out and just plop them on the table, they are toolbox mechanics. Right? They are not... The mechanics themselves generally do not really support storyteller type of play. They're not a storytelling system, Right? It was kind of the best that was available at the time. Hey, let's try something a little bit different. Marker and Hagen and the guys figured this stuff out. Okay, let's try this. Um, <clears throat> can I turn the attitude number up? Let's goth this fucker out. Let's do gothic modern horror. Let's try to do this. But the tone and everything in it came from the writing and the setting components to it. So when you read Chicago by Night or you read about your gangrel vampire clan, um, believe it or not, I have a gangrel vampire clan tattoo on my back of my right shoulder. No joke. Um, but. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do. I do. All right. All right. Anyway, point is, is you would read this stuff. It'd be really, really cool. The setting is what would draw you in. So when you read like the, even the modern world of darkness book or Chronicles of Darkness book, when you read them, you're like, ooh, they, f- they do a really good job, in my opinion, of telling you this is the type, these are the types of stories that you can tell with this. These mechanics would help you tell these types of tales. Truth be told, I could use Fate. I could use Savage Worlds. I could use Gumshoe. I could, I could, I could, right? However, there is something interesting that the White Wolf guys and the Onyx Path folks in these, in this system, I don't know if it's just, if it just sings to me and certain other people within our little niche hobby, but there's something about the way that they've approached a modern setting and adding just the right amount of horror undertone, right? When the, I don't recall the, the game going so far as to say like all, all human travesty, all human badness, all this stems from, because of vampires, you know, horrible things, you know, um, the World War II uh, concentration camps that is not said, oh, that's because of vampires. Humans get a pass. There was, I, I don't, I didn't get that when I read, when I read the books. I don't, I didn't get a pass that, oh, everything that's bad, you know, and so on and so forth. And even in Cthulhu, sometimes you can get a, a feeling that there's bad things, but all the really bad stuff is because of the mythos, right? Mm-hmm. At least you can, you can get that feeling. There is, at least through the writing, when I read the when I read the World of Darkness books, there's always this undercurrent that human beings, right? We have our problems, the merits, the flaws, the virtues, the vices. You had dealing with these, those mechanics that they plugged in now are things like you have a vice, you're a gambler, but your virtue is you're generous. You're greedy, but you so they're not always that that diametrically opposed, but you have these things. If you play them correctly, you can get some willpower points back. You can get some, basically get pieces of your humanity back, if you will, 
or you could lose that stuff. Your character could kind of fall out of grace and so on. It feels a lot like, um, I would compare it to you, like the Bonds, almost in a way, in the sanity component in Delta Green. Like there's pieces of you, that's what you're running into right now, um, the good parts and the bad parts, you're going to have to deal with this. You know, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for you to indulge the worst parts of you while you battle this thing or while you're dealing with it. And plenty of opportunities, hopefully, where you can figure out how to, you know, bring the better part of your character out. And there's something about how when I read when I read the text and the the, the flavor and everything, it's. I think one of the pieces I like about it is I feel like there's some, like there's an underlying hope piece, even with vampire is like, you're supposed to hang on to your humanity, right? There are people who played vampire, like I can fucking kill us about humanity. I want to be a monster, uh, darkness and I kill and murder. Right. And but the, if you play the rule, the mechanic was, if you did that, your character fucking was gone, you know, tear character sheet up, hand to storyteller, you're done. But there's a piece here where you're you're kind of riding this catastrophe wave of stuff around you, and it's a shadow world, which is fun for me, having a modern setting where m- most people assume X, and then this other thing is going underneath. But it's not as crazily nihilistic, completely incomprehensible like the mythos is. Nilothotep does what? Why? Who fucking knows? It's Nilothotep, man. Right. Why is Azathoth piping or whatever the fuck he's doing? I don't know. No clue. There's an explanation in here. If you go in and you find out um, what's going on in the abandoned warehouse, you uncover that it's some bizarre um, pack of ghouls that came over from where, what other part of the world and they immigrated here because this is a good place to hunt. You, you can find out why. And you can figure out what to do about it. It's a, it has a more conquerable feel sometimes. Um, to me anyway, and if it, the world doesn't always have the Cthulhu hat, hat is going to go pear-shaped perspective, the, the horror seems more to me relatable for some folks than I think the Cthulhu mythos is. Cause again, the mythos piece is so massive and, um, that huge existential nihilism, that's not always easy to get a hold of in your head. Or, oh, yeah, it's a deep one. Okay, it's a big blasphemous froggy fish man. How many sanity did I lose? Now, granted, if you're playing through that way, you're probably, quote unquote, doing it wrong, right? There's better, there's more, you know, more fun with it than that. But there's something different about um, the monster and the cultist in Cthulhu, right? So when you're playing, you, you meet the cultist and then they summon the monster. Like, I have to defeat the monster. But the cultists are the nastiest fuckers. Those are the poor sons of bitches that got seduced by this thing, right? So in a World of Darkness game, the way my friends and I run it, if you're, our setting would be, you're finding out something's happening, homeless people are going missing, quote unquote, no one cares about the homeless. You you get embroiled in this somehow, you're figuring it out, and it's this horrible lake monster. You're like, oh my God, it's eating people. You can figure it out, why is it here, what's it doing, and I can put a stop to it, right? And if you find out there's a group of people that have actually summoned it, from some other abode, uh, some other dark realm, and put it here because they're crazy or whatever it is. That's the nasty part. You know, there's the monster, but it's always a, a, an attainable reason. I'm totally rambling, dude. You need to stop me. Well, you know, <laughs> Akadokan put something up, which is interesting. Sure. I figured I'd read it because it's 
not it's fairly elaborate. He says, world of darkness is our world, but darker. So the horror and subversive sub, uh, subversive nature of the games enabled us to explore a lot of types of stories in a cathartic manner while remaining in a safe place. Our characters were flawed, like we are in real life, but beca- became something more. There was a lot of nuance and depth in the character creation process, and then he felt it went deeper into character creation as a as a whole co- person concept than any game before it, which is okay. Oh, okay, all right. Got it. It's a bold statement, and I think yeah. for for myself and my friends, it was definitely true. And I think the having it tied to like I said, realism in a way or that that connection, right? I feel more connected to that person because of the modern setting and the modern uh, approach of it. I feel more connected to that than I do playing a 1920s investigator in Harlem. I'm not a 1920s person. I have to disassociate myself. And even with D&D, I'm not a dragonborn paladin, right? Sure. And that's fun. It's fun to pretend to do that and, and to try to figure out how that would be. But when I want to tell... A horror story, which is horror has loss of control it ha- or can. You, you're worried about your agency. How do I protect the ones I love? How do I protect my own self, my sanity, the, the neighborhood, all of this stuff. And then having it be something that you grok. Like, ooh, I get this. Um, and I know some people who were not fond of it because they felt it wasn't, it was too, um, too personal hmm. of an approach. Excuse me. And again, a lot of the, the approach came from the tone of the settings. If you take the mechanics out and just kind of put them on their side, you're like, oh, I probably run a fantasy game with this mechanic or whatever it is. You know, rename this, rename that. Look, it's, you know, Swords and Wizardry. There's stuff you could do with it like that. But I, the, the flavor and everything that goes along with it is kind of where the draw comes. I find more people from me enjoy reading the books, from my perspective anyway, enjoy reading the books, getting into the scene, right, the tone, and then running the game. I don't know, and I'm sure somebody is out there, I have not met anybody who says those mechanics are fucking flawless, that is the bee's knees, I will never play anything other than that. What they dig is the setting. A lot of what Akadokan said that you that you, uh, repl- that you read out loud there is uh, definitely why. Hmm. They like the merits. They like the flaws. I got some ups. I got some downs. I've got the good parts, the bad parts of my of my humanity. What am I going to do with that given this situation? You're telling the story about the time that you fought off the vampire or telling the story of the time that you allowed yourself to become the vampire in order to save the town or whatever happened. Does that make sense? It does, and it's an interesting dynamic uh, or appears to be where, you know, I get a I get some folks that won't play modern games because it's too close to home, which is fine, you know. Yeah, some people but, want a real escape, and what they see right. as a real escape, however they define it, is, you know, tiefling thief. I, Mid- I don't yeah, want medieval to fantasy here. or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah. I, yeah, or Star Wars or whatever. Right. Yeah, and I could see the appeal of just being in a modern game, being able to deal with bigger problems than you might deal with day to day and being able to impact those because you're the main focus or you have that's the deal like that's what you do in this game where you know in life i go to work and come home and And honestly i didn't didn't want to dwell a ton (laughs) on mechanics because it's a d10 die pool mechanic you normally don't get any more than like 10 dice in your pool 
Um, if I've got five dice to attack you with and you have a defensive four, I pull four dice out of my pool and I roll the one, huh. uh, the one die to attack you. If I've got, it, it's, it's very simple. It actually rolls really, really fast, which is the other fun part behind the mechanics is because you get a good story rolling. And then if you go clunk, you hit drop in this heavy mechanical system, right? So all that tone and stuff to me was the biggest selling point. When I tried to get somebody to play Vampire or World of Darkness game or Wraith or whatever it is I was trying to hook someone in, I would pitch them on the idea. I never got into the mechanics. Like, oh, it's got such super sexy, slick mechanics, man. You'll never. And the reason was is because it came down to what are you trying to do? Well, I, I, I got to punch the bad guy. Okay, give me a strength plus, plus brawl. So what is that? There's your strength has one to five points. There's little black dots in your character sheet. Your brawl has one to five dots. You might have a word there that says boxer, which might which allows you to explode your tens. Oh, it says I'm a boxer and I got five dice. Good. Roll your dice. Oh, I got oh, I got two tens. Roll those again. Great. That's what you get. Boom, boom, boom. This is what happens. It it's really fast from a mechanics perspective, at least for me. Um, and that might come down. Somebody else may say, fuck, it's slower than that, Brad. Jesus Christ, you have no idea. I, for me, the way my friends and I work with it, it might just be decades of using it. It's this plus this. Roll my dice. I got four successes. Let's narrate what happens. Right. But the tone of the setting, the components of it are what drew more people to it. I knew people who were like, oh, it's a horror game. I don't like that. What kind of horror? Well, it's like Call of Cthulhu, right? It is not like Call of Cthulhu. <clears throat> Excuse me, frog in my throat. It's Get not some Call water, Cthulhu. dude. Be, I do. I've been chugging that here in the side. It's not Call of Cthulhu as I already talked about, but it's right. just um, because it has that closer to humanity, the closer to real thing, which is why um, games like Fear itself and Esoteris and Delta Green, I think, they're one of the cool things that Delta Green really captures is a similar thing. It's in a nice box to help you deal with the mythos, but it has really good bonds, things that it will erode. You're doing this dark, horrible deed to save humanity, but guess what that does to your family life, right? And generally speaking, horror games, there's catharsis when you win, but it's the win at what cost? Sometimes it's not just, well, someone's Bobby sacrificed himself, save the town, neat. It's we all sacrificed our relationships. We've all been fired. You know, one of the favorite things my friends and I do is after the campaign is done, like, what does your character do after this? The story's <laughs> over, but what the fuck do you go back to? And it, it ends on a, ends on like, you know, the sad Hulk music with Banner walking, thumb and a, <laughs> thumb and a ride down the street, right? It's depressing. And, um, or that <laughs> approaching it that way can be depressing. And sometimes it's, it's like, wow, yeah, I, uh, this poor person's broken. And again, I'm saying that somebody out there is listening going, wow, that's terrible, Brad. I never want to do that. <laughs> again, that's just a flavor we add on to it because like, wow, you just did this huge thing to really close the circle. What does your character do after that's done? You finally defeated the vampires in Boston or whatever town you're playing in. You finally defeated them. What did you have to do to do that? Let's see. Um, well, I got kicked out of the, I got kicked out of the clergy. I, uh, <laughs> this, 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 I started drinking again. Yay. Great. Those are all the one. I, but I killed the vampires. By God, the vampires are gone. You know, the character It's kind of, like, again, has a Delta green type of feel to it. But, um, I always was able to hook people on the tone and such because the mechanics themselves, you know, give me an attribute plus a skill 
roll that number of tens and figure out the successes. It was pretty much that simple. Wayne says the uh, World of Darkness was also innovative because it was one of the first games to stress PC background. What were you like before you became the monster slash supernatural creature? It, it used method called the Prelude, a one-on-one -on -one encounter creation session between a PC and the GM. Yeah, the embrace was a big thing um, for for vampire characters. I knew when my friends and I would play for a while, sometimes we would like, let's just get to the game. And we would skip the embrace. Because like, how did you become a vampire? Blah, blah, blah. Let's, just, let's just move on to the story. Every time we did that, we cheated it. Because when we took the seconds to how did this happen and make everybody tell the story at the table, it was really cool in front of everybody. Like, how did this happen? We have a little back and forth and we just talk about it. And sometimes other players are like, ooh, 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 how about, how about? And I learned how to source the table through doing this by having everybody talk about this stuff and having my, my crew at the table really picked up on, you can, you can chip in to help your partners out, right? Even if you're not part of the action and there's a fight going on the other end of Chicago, they felt, everyone felt like it was okay to slide ideas across the table to their friends because they were just trying to help, trying to help make it more dramatic and so on. And the PC backgrounds were definitely big. I think I talked about that when we talked about um, games that changed us, right? The fact that people dug into backgrounds and it mattered. Who were you before? And in, a, in this kind of basic World of Darkness game, it's like, who are, who are you going to become or what will happen to you as you encounter and get through? And one of the cool things with having the World of Darkness as a core was I would often start games as mortals and like, okay, make up a bunch of mortal characters and we're going to see where this goes. And the players would be like, ooh, what's it going to be? Is it going to be werewolf this time? Or are we going to be mages? Or ooh, maybe we'll turn into vampires. And then I'd spring some weird ass shit on them. Like, oh, hey, guess we're vampires. Oh, we're Sabbath. All right, here we go. We're Sabbath vampires. There we are. Let's, let's go black hand all the way, brother. Um, and that was, that was fun. But it was having that backstory was very important and made the characters richer. And um, instead of just sh instead of showing up without any background, right, and just saying I'm a vampire and I got made one back and I'm I'm a fighter from fighter land and my parents were killed by vampire works. Neat, <laughs> you know. It just it forced it forced that discussion, which is pretty helpful. In the, in the uh, World of Darkness core, as it sits right now, it talks about who you are, where you're from, archetypes, that type of thing. It doesn't have the same, but if you break out into the vampire, the hunter, and the individual kind of add-on books or the, the, the core components to it, it has those pieces to it, helping you walk through who you were before you came, which is very helpful. So I know... There was World of Darkness, there was New World of Darkness, and then there's, you know, went from different publish hands of publishing. Yeah, White Wolf, Onyx Path, and then Christ, I, I lost track. I completely lost track. Yeah. After a while. It was, there's a lot of, Vampire 5th Edition had its own little problems. There were, there were things in the, um, the Ravnos Vampire Clan was uh, basically very stereotypical gypsies. They st the stereotype of all thieves, liars, and tricksters. Mm. That's a little more problematic, right? That's like, hey, stereotype of all white Polish, Polak guys like Brett. <laughs> that's, 
uh, early, you know, it, it's kind of at the time I didn't notice. Right. Cause it just wasn't on my radar. Now I'm like, yeah, that probably wasn't necessarily the coolest thing to do. Um, and I think some of the, they had white wolf had some black, they had black dog, which was a, sub, a sub publisher. Uh, a little, it was like the, their adults line, which was like mm. more brutal, more charged with violence, sex, and so forth. And they kind of, at certain points, pushed envelopes in different places. Um, good or bad. Some people really dug that stuff. Some people thought it was over the top and childish. Um, and then as it moved forward, I know Ken Height was in, I think, the latest edition of Vampire, the Masquerade, fifth edition, wherever the hell is out there right now. And I lost track of it, and the reason for me was I played the hell out of Vampire for so long, I don't ever want to run another game where people are vampires again. I do not give a fuck. I've played it, played it, played it. Hunting and killing vampires, on the other hand, that's why I bought Knights Black Agents, right? Pulling data from there. That's why when I'm running a World of Darkness game now, New World of Darkness, as, as some folks call it, what you reminded me of is the uh, is the fact I can hunt the cryptids, I can take care of the monsters, I can I can deal with the horror in different ways. But being the vampire, being the werewolf, or being that particular type of monster, for Brett, I've done it to death. I have no interest in it anymore. Hmm. That makes sense. It does make sense, and I, I it seems like a theme. Like a lot of people I've run into that. Even through the podcast, members of the community, their their conversations are on whatever what, what it used to be, what it is now. Well, what what games they're playing now, and it's and it's usually not World of Darkness, but it's funny how many have come from World of Darkness or had played a World of Darkness game setting years ago that are similar to you that have just gotten away from it, but they have fond memories of it, but they just don't play it anymore. And when White Wolf, maybe, White Wolf yeah. rebooted, right? When they re, they, this, they blew up the universe. Like the, the end times came, there was like an entire end times chronicles, like time of thin blood. This is here. This is now, this is over. It's, they blew up the world. It ended the world of darkness ended. That's what they did. And then they started it over with vampire, the Requiem and so forth. And for those of us who are kind of, huh, let's see what that's about. The change that they made, like, Ooh, uh, you got rid of this clan, but you named, but you renamed it kind of sort of this other thing. It's used to be called this, and now it's called this slightly similar thing. If you were brand new to it, you wouldn't notice it. Wouldn't be a problem. But for the old guard, we read it. It was very. I got confused. Quite frankly, we're like, why? Why did you do this? <laughs> you know, would it have been nicer just to? You know, it's their games, their prerogative, and all. But I think a lot of us at least from my perspective, the, the folks who started with it in 90, 91, when it came out and we really hit it hard, we got into it. The, the subculture within the subculture was there. White Wolf was like rose up and like TSR was like, holy fuck, what is this? It had huge presence at Gen Con. Uh, that's the first time. Yeah, I the White Wolf a, Party, man. Yeah, White Wolf Party was just a weird-ass drug-fueled nut nutball convention. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> I've been to one. You know? I got invited yeah. to one. Yeah. Um. Played a, I, pl I played a vampire LARP where a drunk Mark Ryan Hagen ratted out our group's hiding place, little bastard. Um, but there was the the culture they built up around it was so cool. It reminds me very similarly in a way to the uh, the Dungeon Crawl Classics crew 
the people who love it really, really love it. I think the DCC grouping tends to be a little healthier, in my opinion, than uh, some of the folks I used to run into or bump into at the time. But there was this, there was a really cool zeitgeist around it. And then when World of Darkness ended, a lot of us went, huh, all right, let's move on. Because when you're in something so hardcore for a very long time, and um, much like yourself for, for D&D and other things, sometimes you're like, yeah, let's, let's go play something else. Other stuff's out there. There's some other cool games, other cool ideas. Let's 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 move into something else, mate. So, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of. I don't. I do not know anyone right now, and I'm sure someone's going to write in and say I am playing. I do not know anyone other than myself who runs any World of Darkness games at huh. all. I know uh, Joe Swick has done a little bit of Vampire as of late, but not regular. Um, the circles I used to run in, I knew of like just 10, 20, 30 different vampire mage, werewolf combo games, different stuff happening. People I knew, I now know more people who collect the old stuff than play it. I know more people who want to have the complete collection of the original vampire books, or they want this, or they want that, than actually are playing the game. And I must be wrong because it, the game sells somewhere, but I just don't see I don't see it that common. I, the reason, one, I've like I said, I wanted to just talk about it because I throw it out there periodically, but talk about why I got hooked in it. And then also, for me, the New World of Darkness stuff makes a really nice, generic, for me, I'm calling it generic toolbox, modern horror with pretty slick mechanics. They're not, they're not, I don't think, is, um, they're not as kind of clunky as I think they would have been back, as they were. Um, are they as smooth, sexy as some of the other stuff like Delta Green? I think it's really, really tight for how everything just seems to really integrate well. I think it's pretty close. It's a pretty good, it's pretty well made. So, Apparently Wayne is running a fifth fifth edition vampire game. And awesome, Akadok- now I know somebody. <laughs> and Akadokin's prepping a uh, Vampire Masquerade 20th anniversary edition. Well, right goddamn, now. now I know two people. Starting awesome. in summer. It's a World of Darkness revival. <laughs> it could be. Now I know two people. Bloody yeah. hell. I jokingly told my friends, I said, you know what's going to happen? We're going to play all this first edition AD&D. We're throw that aside, and I'm going to have to run a vampire game. And truth be told, I did save all my uh, my vampire Dark Ages books, my Dark Ages stuff. Dark Ages Inquisition, Vampire, Mage, and Werewolf, because that's coming back at my table. That was a good time. I um... But anyway... I think that I could have quite the experience with World of Darkness. Uh, you, you know, I know Matt McElroy and uh, McElroy and Monica Valentinelli, and Monica has been a longtime staple in that line. She's written a lot of material for that line and publishers. They're both here in, in Madison. Um, and I've run into, you know, go to game hole con, I run into them and I catch up with them. I ran, they try to put on a smaller convention, like a game day type of scenario. And we were sitting there and they're talking and I know they're in like Matt runs flames rising. I know that's that, that's their scene. That's their jam. You know, I think, uh, Matt, I think even works for Onyx or did at one time Onyx path. And they, I, I, you know, I was standing there kind of minding my own business as we were just, I was just listening to him talk and 
I it, it came up where I'm like, hey, I gotta admit, I've I've never played a World of Darkness game, and they they looked at me like, what, what the hell? We gotta change that, you We're know? And, that. and yeah, and I think if you know, I I can imagine the experience that I would have playing with with those with two, the those two for sure, uh, and especially Monica running that game um so but i haven't talked to him in a while maybe a game whole con i'll bring it up and say hey you know what you should take that. you up on that right i'll tell yeah, you man there, see, but when, when i mentioned the dungeon crawl classics crew that level of passion i think is there when one of the things that was really i felt like i needed to proselytize my game much like jen brinkman does for dcc right the dcc accolade um we're like this is really fun i'm really having a good time with it and uh, i had not felt that way in a long time and a lot of it is attitude energy and um the just the passion for it because i like what i was reading I read it and it inf- it influenced me to like, ooh, I want to know character backgrounds. I want to figure out how people are flawed, but yet still have some cool stuff. You know, I want to figure out how to f- make this really cool sounding, you know, horror thing kind of creep in and freak them out a little bit. But they've got the ability to fight it if they want to or or they're going to become vampires. So how do you deal with that now, guys? You know. There was something about I wanted to share that with people and have everyone experience it. And um, it was one of the first places I learned that just, you know, threatening to kill a character is fucking that's anybody can do that, right? But when you're playing right, right, a vampire right. game, these these fuckers are immortal, effectively immortal. And mages and werewolves, they live for fucking ever. You gotta fuck with these players in different ways, man. This is where I, this is where I learned to like oh, how many points of uh, of you know uh, of you know streetwise did you have? Yeah, you just lost two. Why? Because you fucked up, man. You turned you turned over on this gang. You're done. Your streetwise is gone. Oh yeah, I just spent a point on that. Yeah, you did. It's gone now. Oh shit. Well, I want to learn this. Nope, sorry, can't do that. You know, or you beat people up, and you, you know, physically the characters are tough. They're resilient. You hit them, they soak some damage or whatnot. But it, it mattered, right? Messing with them, their their resources, their the their friends, their contacts, all of their dependents, and messing with that stuff because you can't threaten to just kill every vampire. You're like, go ahead, try it. Good luck staking me hard. I can read in the fucking rule book. It's almost impossible to stake a vampire in art. Good luck, asshole. Light you on fire. Yeah, well, I can do this. Yeah, I can do that. Because they're super powered to each other. So, man, I'm going to take away your contacts. Oh, we have a little vampire haven where you hang out, huh? Guess what? Guess what? They, uh, the vampire who you pissed off? Yeah. he Because uh, you don't have anybody in the mayor's office? Yeah, he decided your building's getting bulldozed tomorrow. That's sun up. Good luck with that, buddy. <laughs> I've done that to people just messing with them right this this whole and that draws them out like god damn who did this to me why is this happening and then they come out and they want to engage the world right. is the world is happening things are going on and it was just i learned so much on how to not just fuck with people for the sake of fucking with them but get you off your dead ass and engage with the story hmm. you know there's something going on you want to sit there and do nothing just sit in your little id hole haven and fun that's fine pretty soon you know where you go to feed those animals, they're all dead. They've been poisoned. This happened. That happened. Something's going on. You have to engage in the world, right? And I learned that through Vampire because I had to I had to figure out ways to get at these folks. Because after a while, you get a bunch of experience points in a small group of vampires. It's kind of hard to stop. <laughs> Real hard to stop. You can't just keep bringing bigger, badder, tougher vampires to go threaten them. That gets old. 
you know, it's all politics and maneuvering that type of stuff. So yeah, that was, that was the, that was the fun. And I really, I wanted to proselytize it. I want to tell everybody I could like, Hey, this is fun. You should try this. It's a different type of game. That's a different approach. This is not about killing monsters and taking their stuff. This is a totally different thing. So Anyway, I kept going on. I gotta say, the diversity that it brought on too was like, oh I, Christ, that was. I didn't know any women that played RPGs, and then, you know, you go to a Gen Con and people play in World of Darkness, and it's all over the spectrum. It's like no, I had was, at my height when I had thirteen players. We played every week, and I had thirteen players. And it wasn't half. Only had only had five women in that game. Hmm. Only, right? Yeah, only. Right. Which at the. I, that was at the time growing up where I was with, with gamers, it was all a little white boys club. Right. Right. And when I started going to world of darkness events, I saw African Americans, I saw Asian Americans, I saw more people into this. And, um, I don't know what it was about that particular world of darkness culture, but like y'all in everybody was in, that's how it felt to me. And I I don't think it was something that was like, Oh, white wolf did this very magical thing or whatever. I don't know the zeitgeist of the time. It just really seemed to to crack that open. It was really, really cool. Yeah. To show up and like, wow, I've got women who want to play games with me. That's neat. Going places. And I remember going to LARPs in Madison. But holy crap, it's not just a bunch of white guys. This is really kind of cool. Right. This right. is neat. Yeah. This is really neat. I got I got it's not just, you know, five white guys in a room. This is a holy <laughs> crap, there's a whole bunch of people in here. This is fun, you know? Yeah. Different yeah. people. This is awesome. You know? So anyway. There you go. I know I probably didn't cover something somebody wanted me to do, but that's my ramble. So it's all right. You good, Sean? It's all good. Yeah, man. It's interesting. I it, I am further enlightened. All right, I'll run a game for you again. Maybe I'll do that at Gen uh, Game Hocon and yeah, drag I mean, that into shit it. I'd play sure. All right, let's go on to die roll. All right, let's get into die roll. Die roll two to four miscellaneous points of game and a geekery we want to bring to you. First one Brett puts in there. Yep. The um, Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerer's Viperborea, Bundle of Holding. Uh, one of our... I saw it pop up, and I'm like, ooh, I got to get that in there. And um, I had two or three different BSers tag me and say, hey, uh, what do you think about this one? I'm like, yep, definitely going in there. <laughs> so there it is. Bundle of Holding, Hyperborea. The core collection, 10 bucks. Um, it's pretty cool. It's got a lot of good stuff in there. So take a look. See what you think. If you're interested in Astonishing Swordsman Sources of Hyperborea, which we've talked about before with Mr. Tim Deshane. Tim ran a game for Sean and I. He did. Check it out. It'd be, good, be a good opportunity to grab some really cool PDFs. Over to you, sir. Uh, next one is Death in Space. Kickstarter. I think there's some tie to uh, Free League, but I'm not sure. I don't know if the couple of the designers are doing this, but it's a huh. 43k of a 6k goal, and it's they're based out of Sweden. Ends oh, wow. April 19th. Uh, here's the, here's the line, right? Engage in power struggles and build your crew's reputation. Salvage and steal to survive and endure a ruthless universe. And above all, do anything you can do to get that next job. Sci-fi tabletop role playing game. So it's a game uh, takes you to the grim, grimy, blue-collar future of a universe filled with risk, but also opportunity. Death in Space presents a vision of space where technology is broken and dirty, 
and society is harsh and desperate. Player characters make up a crew with their own spacecraft or station and take on the jobs they can find in order to earn some well-needed bucks and get ahead in the power struggles of the stellar system. Seems like an ongoing theme. I like what I saw on the Kickstarter. Like, the- Did you see there? It's got Death in Space has its roots in OSR scene, follows similar design principles in terms of setting and tone. Inspiration comes primarily from the gritty science fiction of films like Outland and Prospect and classic Westerns and the grimy future of the early 80s science fiction movies. So that seems right in your uh, mothership little uh, niche there, buddy. Yeah, it's it's funny when you look at mothership, you look at alien, you look at you know, death in space, what else, Coriolis, um, you know, there's some of these, and the funny thing is, funny thing, I don't think it's funny, but one of the things that I also was looking at is some of the, the, the supplements that Mothership provides would be really interesting to run different systems in. Like, I think there's a lot of crossover with a lot of these games. Right. If I play Death in Space, I could get Gradient Descent and and run Gradient Descent using Death in Space. Like the the, the I think what I'm trying to get at is the the thing that divides them isn't so the, wide. the Venn diagram is closing in on a single circle. Correct. <laughs> it's a very close diagram. Yes. So cool. I, I was impressed. I I may kick it kick in. I don't know. I just do I need another one? I don't know. I haven't run Alien yet. I've got that sitting on the shelf. <laughs> that's true. Oosh. Uh that's what another game I might run at oh, Game Holcon, maybe Mothership. Oh yeah, that'd be another good one to pull out. It's pretty quick and fast. Yes, it is. Uh the next one, thanks to Michael Akadokan for this one. Trinity Continuum Adventure. Uh Trinity Continuum Adventure. Tabletop role playing game. Ends on April twenty uh, second. This one is yeah fully funded too. Like they're kicking it, and I think it's one of the, the this the person who did this or is doing this has got some background. I can't uh, can't remember who it is, but yeah, it's another they, White Wolf. This is basically another homage to White Wolf. This was their Aeon Trinity yes. superhero type of thing. I definitely remember this. Yeah, the. Um, Richard Thomas in '86, he was the art director of White Wolf magazine. That's what it was. And so on. So yeah. Yep, yep, um, yep. So the premise is after explosion of Doc. He's running Onyx Path. Basically, it's, he runs Onyx Path. So. Oh, he runs it now. That's what it says. After the explosion of Doctor Sir Calvin Hammersmith's telluric engine early in the 20th century, people the world over begin to demonstrate extraordinary capabilities. Stalwart individuals with the strength to pull a, a safe from a wall or the quickness of hand to pluck. A bullet from the air, mesmerists uh, with the ability to cloud men's minds or see visions of distant places, valiant daredevils. What did you say? They said the shadow knows. That's the um, the old the shadow, oh, the ability the to cloud shadow. men's minds and see the past. I never got into the pulp stuff. Yeah, right? that's the shadow. But yep. It's very interesting. Like I was at Gen Con, and that was probably the closest thing that I had been into, like a pulp game, which was like. What was it? I think I think it was a Call of Cthulhu Doc Savage game. And I think I, mm. I might have brought this up before. So there was the characters were James Bond, Doc like Sean Connery, James Bond. And Doc Savage, the Man of Bronze. Doc Savage. The Man uh, of Bronze. Who are the other guys? Yeah. So I can't remember all of them. Flash oh, like, Gordon. Uh, okay. 
Flash Gordon, Alan Quartermain, that type of guys? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Wow. And then so it was like all these group of guys around the table on the GM, like, and of course they're referencing, yep, I was a big fan of Doc Savage. I'm like, I, <laughs> okay, no idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyways, that's, that's what we had for die roll. Cool, man. Cool. We're good. We are good. What are we talking about next week, Brad? Next week, we're talking about the power of the mook. We're talking about mooks. Or, uh, you know, underlings, throwaway characters, that type of stuff. Minions. Minions. Little yellow twinkie little looking yellow guys, guys with big yeah, exactly. goggles. Yes. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Off a little meatier than Brad just rambling uh, incessantly about a game, so. No, I thought it was good. I mean, I like I said, I don't know World of Dark, and it's like a big thing, man. Like it's not that rivaled D and D at one point, I'm sure. Yes, it did. Yep. Yeah. Big damn thing. Yeah. Uh, so thanks everybody for showing up and joining us while we record live. We record live here on Twitch every Monday night at 8 p.m. You can go to gamingabs.com forward slash Twitch, and you'll get us to our channel. Otherwise, we'll throw it up on YouTube. And, of course, our flagship purpose of this whole spiel is because we do the audio podcast that you can find us at your favorite favorite podcatcher of choice. Uh, so check us out next time when we talk about Power of the Moon. Otherwise, I'm Sean. And I'm Brad. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS, produced with help from the following BSers. $1 Adventure Frameworks, Aaron Coleman, Aaron Ralia, Adam Grant, Grotejohn, Andy Hall, Andy Olson, Angus, AWOL Trooper, Brian Kurtz, Brian Rumble, Chad Glayman, Chris Shorb, Chris Steele, Christopher Lang, Cole Cago, Gory Gonzalez, Corey Welch, Craig, Craig Huber, Craig Shipman, Curtis Takahashi, C.W. Mellencamp, Dan LaValle, Daniel Garrett, David F. Baylog, Ed Nyes, Eileen Barnes, Eric Avia, Eric Jeppesen, Eric Salzwedo, Eric Frankhouse, Eric Tavola, George Sedgwick, Ghost GM, Harrigan, Henry Newcomb, Howard Bishop, Hoos Carl, Isaiah Aries, Christian, Jared Rasher, Jason Hobbs, Jay Plata, Jeff Goad, Jeff Seifer, Jim Fitzpatrick, Jim Ingram, Joe Swick, John Kayward, Josh Wallace, Kevin Keneally, Laramie Wall, Larry Hout, Larry Hollis, Mark Richmond, Mark Tasaka, Melissa Bashinsky, Michael Dinos, Michael O'Holland, Mike Coleman, Mike Hess Jr., Miniature Master, Mirko Froelich, Niall Diamond, Old Schools are Role Playing, Old School DM, Orcus Dorcus, Perry Besor, Phil McClory, Pure Mongrel, Quigley Malcolm, Ray Otis, Rich Wishan, Robert Nemeth, Roger Braslett, Roger French, Ron Bishop, Rory Weston, Sky, Stephen Dragonspawn, Tendrils, The Duke in Purple, Todd Sharp, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, and Wayne Peacock. Hey, have you ever thought of trying a different role-playing game? Maybe playing with some different players, different game master? Head over to gamingnbs.com forward slash games. Thanks, BSers! This, this has, has been, been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.